Hello there, folks. My name is Nathaniel Lockhart, your host for The Memory Machine. Today's episode is going to be one talking all about Capital Fest, which is Rome, New York's annual silent and early sound film festival. I'll be talking with the directors of that. But first, let me just get off a couple plugs here, if I may. One of those is that the Geekiverse is, has been adding a lot of new things. Uh, if you go to thegeekiverse.com and, and scroll to the website or go to their YouTube page or, or their SoundCloud feed, whatever have you, uh, you'll find that there's several new shows that have popped up. Uh, one of them is, is one on Disney Plus called the Disney Plus Cast, talking all about the uh, fun stuff you can find on Disney Plus, the, sh- the, exclu- the exclusive shows, as well as uh, digging through the back catalog a little bit. Um, there have been new episodes of Geek's Got Game, and uh, there is a new show right now. Well, there's two shows, two Star Wars shows. One is uh, covering The Mandalorian, and the other one is uh, kind of uh, doing like a backwards glance at uh, Star Wars film of Star Wars films of yore, and they're sort of ranking them as they discuss them, and it's kind of going out of order too. So like they talked about like Rogue One and like Solo and 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 uh, uh, like attack the clones, so it's like if you only had those to rank, how would those rank? It's it's, a, it's an interesting concept. Um, recommend you listen. Of course, you can uh, help continue what's going on here at the Geekiverse by going to Patreon.com/slash/TheGeekiverse, and you can uh, throw a couple bucks here or there per month, and that really goes a long way to helping keep keep the lights on. Um, making sure, because, you know, I mean, uh, hosting ain't free, folks. Um, if any of you who's listening uh, has a podcast or, or a website, uh, that kind of thing, you probably know that. Um, also, I have been trying to get my Silent Film Night series off the ground. We, well, well, it is off the ground, kind of. We've had the one showing uh, back in no- uh, earlier in November, Cat and the Canary, and that went over very, very well. And I'm working right now with trying to get one for uh, get one up for February, and hopefully for January. We're gonna see what happens there. It'd, it'd be nice to, but I'm not holding my breath on being able to get a pianist uh, booked and ready to go that early. But uh, but here's the thing, folks: is that uh, film is can be expensive. You know, I, I wanted to get this uh, new film, and it's you know it's a little like 50, 60 bucks for a film print, uh, depending on uh, certain things. So, uh, and it's, that's and that's just to own it. Then you have to worry about maintaining it, putting it on new reels if the reels are no if the physical reels that they're on are no good or they're too big. Um, as a, as in my case, I need smaller reels, and and not only that, but you need things to like make sure things stay on the mend, splice tape. Um, leader, um, for preservation's sake, uh, uh, molecular sieves, um, <laughs> these little zeolite pellets that help, uh, help keep the bad away from, uh, aging film and, and all kinds of fun stuff. So if you want to help out with that, if that's something that you like that's happening and you want it to continue happening, please, 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 please go to Kofi, that's K-O-F-I, or coffee. I think it's coffee. I've heard people say both. Um, Anyway, it's K-O-F-I slash Nathaniel Lockhart 0540. And, uh, yeah, if you go there, um, you can 
throw a few bucks here or there. I, I got a goal set up so we can hopefully pick up a new feature that I can show. Um, anyways, without further ado, let's get on to the interview. All right, well, I'm here today with uh, Kylie and Art Pierce. I, I get those names right this time? Yeah. I, I remember them correctly? All right, good. Absolutely. And uh, these folks, uh, well, wh- wh- why don't we hear it from you? Because I'm worried I'll mess up your job titles. You guys work for <laughs> the Capitol. You you do things for the Capitol. Uh, yeah. what, uh, what, what what do you guys do? What, what are your roles at the Capitol Theater in Rome, New York? Well, I am development director, so I handle all of the fundraising and uh, grant writing and things like that to keep the theater going because um, shows don't pay for operations as much as people think they do. So Mm -hmm. a lot of other fundraising as well. Unfortunately, we're a not-for-profit, so we're tax deductible, and that makes my life a little easier. (laughs) I'm the executive director, so I do everything uh, that Kylie doesn't do. (laughs) (laughs) We can't get anybody else in the staff to do. (laughs) Yeah. All right. That's true. We actually have a, a pretty great uh, staff. Uh, when we started, well, when I started, Art was the only staff member, and then we were the only two staff members. Oh, so yeah. now we have no. seven. Right. Yeah, seven. I was like seven. Seven, seven uh, 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 full-time staff members. Um, I'm actually the only one who isn't full-time. Madeline's right? Yet. She almost is. She, she might be by the time this this is published. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Well, that's nice to have a few extra hands, huh, Art? That's uh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm talking to you guys today about uh, Capital Fest, which uh, is a yearly festival there at the Capitol in Rome, New York, that that shows underseen or or forgotten films of of a certain era of the silent and early sound. Um, what, what is your guys, is, is that a pretty good elevator pitch for, for what Capital Fest is? Or do you guys, uh, how, how do you guys explain it? Oh, I think you hit it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we should, yeah. yeah. Most well, people are just like, oh, you know, that silent movie festival. We're like, please don't say that. Yeah. Because you know? it's not quite, um, yeah. I mean, yes, it's silent films, but they're not necessarily things that uh, are very easy to see. That's true. Yeah, definitely rare. We usually say rare, silent, and early talking pictures. Mm-hmm, we used mm-hmm. 1928 and 1934, but we've broadened a little bit in both directions. So, Well, the first year we did, we wanted to do it in conjunction with uh, our 75th anniversary. So the original intention was to show things that were shown originally here at the Capitol in the first five years of our operation. I think... Hmm. We met a little bit at that first year because we just <laughs> yeah just start now you know yeah. but but now we've we've broadened out a lot we show movies from heck early 1900s sometimes yeah, yeah. and so into like 35 <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have yeah, we had really a new one yeah it's unusual to show anything into the 40s so we generally stick to like yeah. 19 19 35 now yeah yeah yeah, yeah we had the uh, the unseen this year which was what 45 was it yeah, yeah. Pr- pretty late for capital fest um yeah mm-hmm. I, I was gonna ask how, how this all got started so you said it was the 75th anniversary of the capital this uh, grand movie palace there and um and, and was it intended to veer into rarer films when you, when you guys started with it it's when it started actually we had a, a doug swartha who was a 
co-founder of Capital Fest. Uh, and I had, a, uh, had, still have actually a friend who, who said, you know, if you would show uh, follow through, uh, I would, I would sponsor that. Or actually, actually, she said, uh, I'd give a hundred dollars toward it, which doesn't come close to sponsoring it. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was you something. Can't follow through, you know, it's a nineteen thirty, uh, it's a nineteen thirty Paramount uh, Technicolor movie with uh, Nancy Carroll and, and Buddy Rogers, and and it, you know, we can't, you can't show that kind of movie here because nobody would come. I mean, you get a small, <laughs> even even with a generous hundred dollars sponsorship, we couldn't, we couldn't show that here. And I said we'd have to do like a whole day of movies or something to make to make that work. And uh, we decided, well, yeah, okay, let's let's do a day, and well, let's make it a day and a half. So we did a, a Saturday, started the Saturday afternoon and went through Sunday um, festival, and um, that was the first year. And they were, you know, there were some pretty rare things there. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing was really common, although maybe a lot of those movies, ironically, are common now. They weren't common then. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Since that time, a lot of them have been released on video because movies that that 15 years ago were rare are not rare anymore. Yes, yes. So, you know, yeah. we, we tried to show some of those movies. Yeah. Why are you showing this? It's yeah. just not Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, right. public, but unfortunately for Capital Fest, it makes it a lot harder to choose films that are rare. Yeah. Much of that. I, I noticed that a lot with, um, there are movies I used to brag about seeing at the Dryden in Rochester, like, because I saw Confessions of an Opium Eater at the Dryden, mm-hmm. and then that's not, never been on video, and then it got released on video, like, two years later, like, well. Oh, of course. I mean, right. not that, I mean, You're not, not that that should be, like, my main purpose for watching films is to say, nah, nah, I saw it and you didn't, but uh, still, yeah, it's it's true that. that rights. Yeah, <laughs> although yeah. we still don't. We didn't see the point of showing anything that was, you know, available. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go to your video store and pick up. Sure. In those days, didn't we? I can't, yeah, can't remember. That's did we? true. <laughs> Although yeah. now it is very unique that you guys show a lot of your films on uh, on thirty five millimeter film, which is something that a lot of theaters uh, are are doing away with. Even movie palaces such as the Capitol, my own Riviera Theater right here in North Tonawanda, New York. Um, the the projectors are still up there, but they don't use them because nobody knows how to use them. So instead, yeah. everything's just a digital projection. Sure. Um, so can you tell me about uh, about that about about sticking or or trying to stick to film? Some some of them it's not quite feasible, you know, like sure. some of the Library of Congress yeah. restorations. But we, we like you said, about that. when we started this, is it? It's not, what is it? Seventeen years now? Yeah, it started in two thousand three. Before uh, I came and before Art was actually director, it started the year before you started yeah i was a volunteer then yeah <laughs> but but in, yeah you're right in those days you know the, the idea that we're showing these on film was not particularly unusual because that's even then it doesn't seem possible but even then <laughs> yeah. most movies were still running film yeah mm-hmm. and the years there are fewer and fewer that are running film um so we think because of that it's important for us to keep doing uh, most of the most of the movies on film you know, it is a film festival. We'd like to continue to call it a film festival. Yeah. Um, there are some things you can't get on film that you can get digitally, and mm-hmm. and we we do that. We show them. We show them because if if the option is show this movie digitally or don't show it at all, then we probably would say let's show it digitally. You know, depending on what the movie is. Sure. Uh, but uh, we we do we do a fair amount digitally now, but still most of most of them are on film. I forget how many. How many features we showed this year, but I think there were only two features that were actually digital, and yeah. and the rest were film. Yeah, and actually we we had more on film this year 
than we had last year. Yeah. That's that's to make those people happy who think we're going to show films more and more digital <laughs> every year. Mm-hmm. When, was, yeah. It's not necessarily going to work that way. And I yeah. think we we also recognize, and a lot of people just consider new formats to be new media. We're, we still feel really strongly that film is its own art form. Hmm. And even you make, it's like taking a photograph of an oil painting. You're not replicating the oil painting. It may be a very nice photograph, but you hmm. still have an oil painting that should be seen, you know? Mm. So I feel like anything that is able to be shown on film and isn't nitrate, because we don't show nitrate, Mm. but that we're able to show on film, we feel it's really important. And we've outfitted our projection booth to have um, variable speed in addition to the fact that the projectors are carbon art to give it the best look that it can have um, for older films. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about that actually about the your unique projectors uh or at least well they're unique now but uh but <laughs> yeah. uh but but Pretty they yeah but but they <laughs> use carbon arc light projection now now what does that mean necessarily it's not it's not a bulb right so these, these it's, not a bulb. it's yeah. a, illuminated by a, a, a spark between a positive and a negative carbon and it creates something kind of into a welder's uh spark and 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 then there's a, a big reflector in the in the projector which which allows that to illuminate the image and it's it's a, a very bright image it's not it's not dimmer than a bulb would be mm-hmm. but it's different. it's a different look it's a soft glow i think as opposed to a harsher light yeah it's almost like the i would liken it to the difference between those daylight light bulbs that you can buy and a regular like bright light bulb that's not doesn't have that kind of I don't know, natural look to it. Carbon arc has a natural look, kind of like um, when when you just see natural light coming through something, that's kind of what carbon arc looks yeah, like. And that's, that, I think that was the, that was the intent of, of carbon arc illumination was to replicate natural light. So it, it is a definitely, definitely a different look yeah. than, mm-hmm. uh, than, a, than a xenon bulb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of course it's the way the movies would have looked when they were new. Yeah, but uh-huh. of course that means that the projectionists that we have have a lot more complicated of a job than they would on a xenon projector or on a digital projector or even with a platter system because they have to know how to feed the carbons. They have to know how to adjust mm. the, they have to do lots of things that um, other projectionists might not have to do. And we're very fortunate to have people who still know how to do that. That's pretty great. Are, are there new, are there people who are now learning how to do that or is it? Uh... <laughs> Glad you brought well, that up. Yeah. <laughs> that's, something, that's something we mean to talk to our projectionist about because he has done some training programs. Yeah. And yeah. Both of our projectionists are in their sixties, I believe. Yeah. We both uh, are. And we have, you know, we have people. We have somebody here on staff who's in his, is he in his twenties? I think so. Yeah. Who would, who would like to learn projection? Mm-hmm. And not that he's going to be necessarily our projectionist right mm-hmm. now, but I think it's good to have younger people know how to do this kind of mm-hmm. thing, so we have somebody to carry on because we want to run film. As long as we can. As long as we can. As long as it's available, yeah. really. You know, the archives are still producing film prints. Right. Uh, in fact, some of this is Universal is occasionally doing doing film prints. Universal so, is great about that. Yeah. So, so they, they are still making film prints. And I think film has made a little bit of a comeback. Mm-hmm. Uh, digital kind of took over. I think now there's a, uh, I know a lot of, a lot of uh, directors have, have really liked the idea of, of shooting on film. Uh, it's different. And it's a different mm-hmm. art form when you're shooting it. It's a different art form when you're exhibiting it. 
And so we want to keep that alive. We want to be able to, to say that we're doing these movies exactly as we would have done them when they were new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True, because <laughs> because I, as I was just saying to uh, James Layton, because we he's doing a presentation. James Layton at uh, Museum of Modern Art. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, we have made compromises in that we have a larger screen than we would have had when we when we opened. The image is larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got our lenses now mm-hmm. that are not made by fact by hand. They're made by you know the factory machine. Yeah, <laughs> we have brighter illumination. We have larger lamp houses. Mm-hmm. So we we are making that concession in that if it can be an improvement that is not something that's completely out of place with an older movie, then yeah, we do it. Yeah. Um, we added some ranks to our organ not that long ago because um, when we were conceived in 1927, most films were still silent, but by the time we opened in 1928, talkies had come in and were catching on quickly. So they left some of the the pretty significant ranks that need to be with a theater organ off of the theater organ. So we actually were able to find another theater organ that um, a hobbyist had in their home and add ranks to it a few years ago. I guess several years ago now. Gosh, it feels like a few years ago. But yeah, improvements like that, as Art mentioned, that aren't alien to the period, but help improve the experience and yes. what it means is that instead of getting an image that would have been 16 feet high in 1928 it's probably 19 and a half feet high today so it's not like wow this is completely <laughs> <laughs> now, this yeah. would not startle anybody it's not like IMAX or something, you know? yeah 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 which they certainly would have done if they had the capabilities yeah it's a larger image it's a brighter image it's a better looking image than it would have been that's all and it, and I, I like one of the reasons i like doing this is I think we really like to kind of astonish people who think old movies look old. They look <laughs> worn out because that's what old movies are. Because that's the way they've seen them on television, and that's the yeah. way they, you know, that's where you see a silent movie. They're always running much, much yeah. faster than life, and look kind of ridiculous. And if somebody makes a movie these days that's supposed to look old, they put all these scratches in it. And yeah, yeah. Old movies look very good, but yeah, we want to remind and, people that when they came out, they were new movies. <laughs> yes. They're not just because they're, I mean, old movies don't have to be boring and stodgy. They can be really exciting. Not to say that somewhere down the line, yeah. they might, might not have got a, got a print that was pretty bad. Shape, yeah, but, uh, that's true. We got them, we were pretty, we, oh, because of our got... proximity to <laughs> New York City, we got them fairly early in the Yeah, but there. we've gotten yeah. some prints as well. <laughs> we have, yes. yeah. Well, well, in some cases too, you can't really help it. Like with some of the, um, like I, I believe there was like a silent uh comedy we watched i don't remember what it was it was a keystone triangle short mm-hmm. and it had suffered nitrate damage and just like well what, oh, are you, yeah. what are you gonna do this is the only one in the world like uh, exactly. yeah. That's, yeah that's the funny thing about about seeing flaws like that like nitrate damage that was obviously in the, in the original source material mm-hmm. somehow i don't mind it mm-hmm. because yes. it reminds us we're lucky to have this movie at all and if it wasn't for the film preservationists, we wouldn't have it because there was a time when it wasn't a big deal to preserve films. Yeah, you know, they, you know they, they, were, they were thought to be a disposable uh, commodity. They weren't really an art form. They were just something, you know, you made money with and when you're done making money with it, who cares? Um, so we're lucky to have them. And yeah, I think yeah. if you have a nitrate, some nitrate damage in a movie, it really drives home that idea that this movie has been preserved from something that was on the verge of being lost. Yeah. And most of them, most silent movies, as we know, are lost. Yeah. So we are lucky to have what we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have become, we, I think over the years, we didn't start out necessarily this way, but I think we have become something of a showcase for film preservation. Yeah. And we'd like people to 
it's, it's, it's great uh, when we get people, well, obviously we'd love to have people in who know all about film, but it's great when you get somebody in who really doesn't know a lot about old film and they learn a lot. They learn about film preservation. They learn about how important that is. And I think that's, it didn't, that didn't start out as our goal. Our goal was originally, hey, let's show some old movies. <laughs> let's entertain people <laughs> with old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Still want to entertain people <laughs> with do. old stuff. We do. But we also have the idea now that this, it's, there's so many levels you can look at these things on. Yeah. And one of them is, is to really appreciate the fact that these movies are preserved. And, you know, it's great to have people, Library of Congress and, yeah. and George Eastman House, to talk about what they've done to preserve these films. Mm-hmm. And to actually have the people here who worked on these films, yeah, uh, it, it's 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 very enlightening, and I think that's that's a lot of what we've become. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think in the forums, people tend to carp about why aren't more films preserved? <laughs> the process and the painstaking efforts that they go through to preserve films. I think you start to understand why more films aren't preserved. And yeah. why it deserves attention and funding to have films preserved if you want to see them preserved. Not right. everything slapped together on a bootleg DVD and call <laughs> it preservation. <laughs> right. Just, yeah, you just can't do that. So I, I think people need to know that it is a, an intensive process and well worth it, really. Mm-hmm. When I had George Williman on the podcast uh, uh, last year, he mentioned that just how much material is actually in the Library of Congress in terms of silence and just how hard it is to get it out because yeah. the, the funds either aren't there or yeah. it's tied up in ridiculous rights issues. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> which uh, I don't know if you guys, do you guys know anything about that? Rights issues, showing things? Oh, yeah. I, um, as you can imagine, it's kind of, it's kind of like those um, things you used to do in like children's activity books where there's like, four strings at the top and there's four people at the bottom and you're like, which string goes to which? Yes. <laughs> because a lot of this stuff has changed hands over the year. You know about it a little bit more than I do. It's, it, it can sometimes be a challenge to, to book a movie for Capital Fest. We, we probably put a lot more effort into booking movies for Capital Fest than we would for our regular program. Yeah, we give up a little easier <laughs> the rest yeah, of the year. Yeah. Because, you know, if there's something you want to show, and you have to jump through hoops to show it because you have to find out who the rights holder is and you have to negotiate with the rights holder. And, and you know, you have to kind of put the people who have the materials in touch with the right hold, rights holder or else, or else act as the, as the middleman. And a lot of that goes on. Um, and we accept that, you know, that's just what you do. Um, yeah. And, you know, mo- most of them aren't like that. If we get a movie from Universal, if Universal has the print, obviously, yeah. They wouldn't loan us to it, loan it to us if they didn't have the rights as well. <laughs> sure. So that's kind of easy. Yeah, they're one of our favorite studios for stuff for Capital Plus. They also but, have one of the greatest intro logos. Yeah, yeah I love that uh, uh, the late '30s one with the fanfare. It's great. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, I what mean, was that? I, did this year art where you accidentally said like digital print and they like lost it. Oh, it was a short. They got all uh, like. Was that, um, <laughs> what was the name of the short? I don't uh, remember. It the was name the of one the with uh, Marion, Marion Byron. And, um, it, it was, we shot it on Saturday night. It was a very fun short. Yeah. Um, uh, Roman through the roses. Was that it? What was it? Roman? Through no, the Ro- no, not that. Oh, no. that's Columbia. That was Columbia. Yeah, it was, I can't remember. The name. <laughs> yeah. So many times at this point. I'm thinking about next year. I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> But it was, yeah, it was just a short subject. It's a two-wheel short subject, but it it was complicated in in, uh, clearing the rights for it. 
And, and we did make the mistake of saying a digital print. And, and they said, what's it? What do you mean a digital print? What do you mean by that? And I think there was a, a fear that we would have it. And, and, and the movie was uh, not encrypted, which means it's digital and it's not encrypted. It means you can play it without a, without a key. And uh, I think there was concern about that. And <laughs> we were just going to keep showing it to the general public. Yeah, gas. because because we have, <laughs> you know, we have a multiplex, well, two screen movie theater yeah. next door that operates uh, all the time. It's, we show independent, current run independent movies. And maybe the thought was that we were going to take this movie and just run it without licensing it forever, <laughs> like for our regular programming. So the people who come in to see whatever the current movie is, this oh, week, what I, is it, Linda Ronstadt yeah. documentary we're showing, maybe we're going to show this ahead of that and, and you know, and not have to not pay somebody for it. Yeah. So, so there was that fear, I think, and we had to, we had to ensure them, assure them that uh, that wasn't the case. That yeah. except for Capital Fest, we really don't have a lot of places where we can run a movie like this because we just don't have the audience who's that interested yeah, in it. Honestly. You know, we do we do movies throughout the year and, and we do some stuff that's fairly obscure. Esoteric, we're, yeah. We're doing we show a, mystery, a lot of esoteric mystery night stuff. this month and we, we have the Black Camel with you know the Charlie Chan movie, which is not it's on video. Mm -hmm. But we're also showing the preview murder mystery from Universal. Uh, with Reginald Denny, which is not a, a yeah. video. It's 1936, so I, yeah. I thought it's too late for Capital Fest. <laughs> but uh, and we we've been showing the Paradigm Case, which isn't exactly Hitchcock's like most well-known film, but we show right. a lot of stuff like that. So so no, so we can show stuff that isn't necessarily you know your your Saturday Night at the Movies kind of kind of fair, but uh, it's Capital Fest where we save the really rare stuff, and people appreciate it because it's rare. And what we really what we really have to explain to the general public, they think, oh, nobody's seen this movie for 80 years. It must be really bad, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the reason why it hasn't been shown all those years, you know, if it was a good movie, they'd keep showing it, right? <laughs> well, you have to explain to people that's not the reason why they're not showing it. There's a lot of reasons why the movie might not, a movie from 1930 might not be shown. Mm. What was the one we showed a couple of years ago? Forgotten Faces. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Library of Congress struck a print for us, uh, for did a preservation on it because we were doing a William Powell uh, theme that year mm -hmm. and William Powell was in it. And, you know, it just, it just knocked people's socks off. It was such a great movie and, and it hadn't been seen since, since, you know, 1928, it was a late silent. Yeah. Talkies came in, really no interest in it. And, and Paramount didn't have any interest in doing any preservation on it. And, you know, how are they going to make money on, yeah. money on it? Now that it's Talkies, who needs a silent? So it just sat there for all those years. It was remade as a Talkie yeah. uh, a couple of times actually. Um, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago that we showed this movie that that people were allowed to see it for the first time. And and it's it's a good example of of the fact that um, just because a movie is obscure doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. In fact, it could be a really great film, which this was. Yeah. And you know you you get those rediscoveries. Mm -hmm. And and of course between the really great films and the awful films, there are films that are just good, good, solid movies. Pretty good. Right? A lot of movies in that period were, and it's, yeah. I think that's probably the bulk of the stuff we show are just really good, solid, entertaining pictures. Yeah. Which may have been very similar to another good, solid, entertaining picture at the time, so everybody kind of shrugged and went on with their life. Yeah. But these days, it's so different from everything else that mm -hmm. really is entertaining. Yeah, you, you see a lot of reviews where they say, oh, another backstage musical. <laughs> and and you would kill to see those backstage musicals. <laughs> But in those days, it's like, we just saw one two days ago. It just came out. And, 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 and tomorrow, there's going to be another one released. But we're not, we're not, we don't have a flood of backstage musicals nowadays. No. Um, and, and a lot of the ones that were made in 1928, 1929 are lost. So if we can get a backstage musical, <laughs> uh, 
uh, we get pretty excited about stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that uh, last year, even some of the programmers, though, are really fun. Um, I remember, mm-hmm. what, what was the one last year? Uh, Who Killed Gail Preston? Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that one, I was like... I didn't care for that. Yeah, I, I liked it. It, it. Dwight Fry was in it. It's cool. Um, yeah. But just like, man, I like... They had the whole thing with, like, um, you know, the guns appearing in the shadows with the... Uh, that and I was like, man, I could watch movies like a whole playlist of movies just like this all day long. Like, if I, <laughs> if I just had like someone like uh, round up the genre for me. Oh, sure. Um, but well, uh, this year, uh, the one with the with the clan connection. Uh, oh, Legion that? of Terror. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a yeah. that's a good example of you know it's just a programmer. Yeah, much yeah. attention to it in 1936, except it was a little more ambitious than the regular programmer, and that it kind of tackled a, a sensitive issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's you know it wasn't the big budget movie, but it was very entertaining. It was. That's yeah. you know it's, people that's, really enjoyed it. They did a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. They wanted to entertain people. That's what they did in 1936, <laughs> 1928. Yeah, there were only a few people making artsy things because it wasn't box office. So right. they just had a lot of solid, entertaining pictures that just aren't really around much anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask you guys uh, what would make a good Capital Fest picture, but I think you guys already. You guys really spell, spelled that out pretty well. Um, but what have been some of the more exciting films, the ones that, that you guys have shown that are just like, wow, I can't believe we got this one in here, or or uh, I never thought I would get to see this one up on a screen, um, anything like that? A few years ago. Um, is this the Paramount on Parade story? Oh, I don't know. Oh, we should we'll, tell we'll that tell one, too. We should. Okay, I'll, don't, don't, don't interrupt my train of thought. <laughs> We talked about the shakedown. Okay, we showed, talk the, about the shakedown. we showed the shakedown from the George Eastman house, which is a William Wyler movie from 1929. It was released in a, in a sound version and a silent version. We showed the silent version with organ. I don't think the sound the sound version I don't think survives. Uh, boxing movie, mm-hmm. and guy comes into town, small town, crooked boxer kind of thing, gets reformed by the love of a good woman. Oh, uh, of course, and it's a, it's a really good movie. Uh, anyway, coincidentally, that same year. Uh, I tip. I oftentimes I will write to Universal and I'll say these movies. And one of the ones I asked about was a movie called Fast Companions, 1932. Tom Brown, Maureen O'Sullivan, great supporting cast. Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney is, is a in, kid, yeah. really young. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know it's it's a it's kind of a well known lost movie. I, I guess it's well known as a lost movie because it's. One of Mickey Rooney's few movies, few talking movies that are lost. Yeah, lost, and you know, IMDb says it's lost, and check your addicts and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and but I about it, and they said we have these, these, and these, and they said we have a print of this. And I said, "You've got a print of Fast Companions?" They said, "Yeah, AKA the Information Kid." And I said, "That's the one." I said, "Okay." Well, I didn't quite believe they really had it, <laughs> um, but we booked it, and I wasn't sure until we got it and I had our projections put it up on the projector that it was the real thing. It was a gorgeous print. It was very nice print. And it turned out, you know, we showed this movie, which was really terrific. Yeah, it One was really good. Really good programmers, 32. That's when I consider showing again. Mm-hmm. And um, it turned out to be a remake of The Shakedown. <laughs> the and same year. <laughs> nobody really knew this because it doesn't, it's not credited in such a way that, it would, that, that it's obviously a, a remake. You read the storyline, that one's about a boxer, this one's about a jockey. Yeah, they're not related. Well, they are related because it's the same story. <laughs> And if you look at the credits carefully, you see that the same screenwriter is credited in 32, I think the original story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say what the original story was. Yeah. And when you do something like that, you've actually contributed a little bit to the knowledge of, of, of film history. 
because now on IMDb, you check and they'll say, this is a remake of The Shakedown. Yeah, and people will have reviewed it. One of the things we look for when we're looking for rarity is whether it has a lot of reviews. And uh, how many does it take to show up on... Well, one review will show up, but they need five votes to get. They need a, five votes yeah, to, to be a, able to, get a, to rating. get a rating on films. And if a film doesn't have a rating, but it has like maybe one or two or none reviews. Yeah, uh, yeah, but they, they have reviews on there, and, and of course, a lot of reviews on IMDb are suspect because <laughs> yeah. some people have an idea they like to review movies if they haven't seen. Them yeah, which is strange. <laughs> I, I never quite understood. That. Uh, it's always been weird, but yeah, I mean that was a great one. Well, Paramount on Parade, Kylie mentioned. Yeah. Um, we showed that. A couple of years ago, and that—that that was a kind of a pain in the neck to get it to. It was kind of a pain because it turned out we booked it, but it was also booked for some foreign um, presentation. Something overseas. So we had to pay for the shipping from some place. Some place in Europe. Very expensive. Yeah, it was really. Expensive. Yeah, uh, because they were <laughs> and we weren't even us. sure it would arrive on time. Yeah, and but it was the you know it's the newest restoration from um, uh, UCLA, and it's a movie that was 102 minutes when it was released. And was shown on television at 77 minutes. They just cut out all the color scenes, all the technicolor <laughs> scenes, which are which were mostly lost in that point. And what UCLA did was they restored the movie, uh, restored what footage they, they restored it from a work print. Yeah, they had some of the color scenes, um, but no sound. You know, so so they would be put put just a little sample of what the scene was because it wouldn't play very well without a if it's a talking scene. Yeah, it and it wouldn't have well been synced up because they might have like a different recording of. Mm. It. So, so they so they so they had a one of the one of the numbers, um, without sound was called Isidore the Toreador, and it was with Harry Green and Kay Francis, and um, they didn't include the entire scene because it's a musical scene and to have somebody standing there singing with no sound wouldn't make a lot of sense but they included enough of it to get a sense of what it was like but they did not put any soundtrack with it because they had no soundtrack so i said well our organist is going to be there to accompany the silent portions every time we was our organist mm -hmm. and i said i'm not sure what he should play for isidore the toreador and i looked at the words to the song which was not published separately but i found the lyrics somewhere and uh, I said, oh, you know what it looks like? It looks like it's just a parody of the Toreador, Toreador song from Carmen. And I got it into my head. That's what it was. And I was talking to our projectionist, Bob Hodge, about that. He works for the Belfort Sound Ar Archive at Syracuse University. And I said, yeah, I think it's just a parody of uh, the Toreador song from Carmen. He said, yeah, if I remember, that's what it is. I said, what do you mean if you remember? He said, well, I've, I've heard it. I said, how can you hear it? It's lost. Well, I've got the disc. I've got the, the, the disc for it. So you've got the disc for that scene? Said, yeah. I said, but that's that's a, that's famous as being one of the missing <laughs> segments of that movie. He said, well, I can I can dub it off for you. So he, he did a dub, and sure enough, that's what it was. And um, I, I told UCLA immediately, and they said they'd love to get a copy of that so they could, you know, work yeah. on it. Yeah. And but you know obviously they weren't going to do anything in the, in the couple of days before the uh, before the yeah this show. happened literally like this week before <laughs> it was like on a Tuesday or Wednesday we yeah, were showing oh, it on the week Saturday. Up, yeah. <laughs> but Bob did the dub, and so we ran the movie. Before we ran the movie, I said, you know, we have a kind of a surprise that we're going to run afterwards. And afterwards, you know, we saw that scene. Afterwards, um, after the movie was over, we played that disc. I told them this is a disc from previously lost disc from the uh, Isidore the Toreador sequence. And somebody said later on, it was like it was like being at the premiere of King Kong or something. <laughs> to have these 
like movie preservation magic. People were really thrilled that we had suddenly found this lost disc that even UCLA didn't know existed. And they they asked us to send the disc, and, and Bob Hodge, this disc is in his personal collection. He kind of said, "Well, why do I want the disc? I work for the Sound Archive. I can do a dub." And and um, he's a little scared about sending a disc. <laughs> yeah, because there is California, <laughs> but he sent them the dub, and they said. And he said, well, I'll send a disc if they want it, but here's the dub. So I sent them the dub and they said, oh, this is fine. We don't need the disc. This is really, he did really good transfer. And I think it was, was it the next year? The following year, yeah. They, they did the preservation and the next year they sent us that reel with the, with the newly restored scene. And we were able to premiere the new restoration of that scene. Mm-hmm. But it, it, we like that story because it, it shows you that uh, film exhi- exhibition goes along with film preservation. And that if we hadn't screened that, we would not have known what materials existed out there and the, and the film would never have been, that sequence would never have been preserved. So that's the kind of thing we we are proud of being able yeah. to do. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, yeah. The, the history of film preservation seems to be littered with stories of serendipity like that. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, this was found in the closet or um, yeah. I, I think my favorite is uh, with Lon Chaney's The Unknown. It was mm-hmm. labeled as unknown in an archive, and they pulled it out. Like, oh, oh, Sorry. the unknown. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? That's the worst title for a movie if you ever expect to oh, find. Oh gosh, oh gosh, but uh, yeah, wow. but every year we seem to get um, uh, kind of people are like, "Are you ever going to run this again?" Because they come in years after we showed it and hear from everybody else about this good movie. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like Double Door and um, Mystery of the. The Blue Room. Blue Room. Yeah, I mean things like there. There have been favorites that people want us to rerun. So we've toyed with the idea of having like one session that had like past Capital Fest favorites for people who didn't see them before, because some of them are really boffo. They're really good. Mm. Other people didn't pick up Fast Companions. I know, right? Death, My goodness, good it is so, so. It was such a good movie, and the print was gorgeous. It just was. Yeah, but that, that's for us it's like oh we we saw that now why would we yeah. why would we run it again and, <laughs> it's true well, well we look at it it was 14 years ago <laughs> yeah. something like that and we have a lot a lot of people coming that weren't coming 14 yeah, years ago yeah it's true and we are getting you know we're getting new people all the time and it's yeah. kind of exciting yeah <laughs> pretty exciting yeah yeah i'm starting to notice uh yeah, there's people there that this year that weren't there a lot last year. Uh, yeah. I was able to bring a, a friend of mine with me, drag, drag a friend of mine with me who wasn't as into old movies as I am, but he was game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of oh. that, he found some new favorites, you know. Yeah. Uh, discovered he loved Ronald Coleman and didn't know it. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I love Ronald well, The thing is that we, we like the idea that we appeal to people who aren't necessarily diehard movie fans. Yeah. You know, that we are doing it probably for the diehard movie fans. <laughs> That's true. But the non-diehard movie fans can still come and see something they like. That's why we split it up into sessions so you don't have to come to three days of movies, you know, because yeah. a lot of people say, are you crazy? Who would want to sit and watch three days of old <laughs> movies? I could just turn up to movies yeah. and watch three days of old movies if I want to do that. Well, it's different, but yeah. never trying to explain it to them, but you could come and see one session. You know, it's a, basically a double feature and some yeah. short subjects. And we've had a lot of people come and do that. And then either that year or the next year by another session or another session, we had somebody I remember coming from Utica, which is our next town over and said, well, you know, we've been coming to more every year. This is the first year we're going to see the whole thing. <laughs> and yeah, they obviously were not movie people. Uh, they came because they were just kind of curious. And now they kind of take it on faith that three days of movies 
mostly movies they never heard of with a lot of stars they've never heard of are going to be entertaining. Yeah. And they come to the whole thing and watch that. And we have quite a few people do that now. We do. And it's kind of funny because, of course, it's for anybody who's been to a ton of film festivals, it's kind of a running gag that a lot of people have to come alone because their spouse is totally not enthusiastic about a film festival that, that is just kind of grueling. You have to, like, sit. You're very tired. You have to really love films. But we try to make it more of a vacation right off the bat. So we get a lot of couples where one person is super into film and the other person just wants to have a nice weekend away with their spouse. And we've had those people come back year after year. And I remember James Cozart's wife, Cynthia, I mean, she wasn't spectacularly into films, but she even came once he passed away. He was one of the great preservationists. We used to work very closely with him in the Library of Congress. And we still like seeing her. She finds her way here most years. And yeah, Yeah, she likes coming and seeing the people. Yeah, it's like family, you know, it's like a reunion. And, you know, you watch these movies on so many different levels. You don't have to be an expert. Let's face it, they weren't made for people who were experts (laughs) on film. They were made to be entertaining. Certainly not. And so you can come just know nothing about them. Just come and sit here and watch movies and, and, and be entertained. And that's, yeah. I think that's, I think first and foremost, we do it to entertain people. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously there's different kinds of entertainment. You can be entertained by being educated about things as well. But I think basically they've got to be entertaining movies. Yeah. If we are showing a movie, a feature film, especially that is not entertaining, that's that means good. somehow we followed up on that one. Yeah. Because we go out of our way to try to find movies that are, that are entertaining. Uh, that got good reviews when they came out. And a lot of times that's all we really have to go on is what the critics said. Um, and that's why I picked Fast Companions, for example, because it got really good reviews. You couldn't find anybody contemporary who'd seen it, but you could find reviews from 1932 that liked it a lot. So that's why I asked about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And that's why we ran it. But, you you know, it's, occasionally you'll see a bad review for something and you get the feeling it's probably a pretty good movie after all because they're complaining about the kinds of things, like I said, another backstage drama or, or another mystery drama. And Well, all right, they were really common at one time, but they're not that common now. And if it's a good one, then we will accept another yeah. mystery drama or yeah. another backstage <laughs> drama. I was careful to compare um, two or three reviews to make sure he doesn't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. So where do you start, Harrison's reports? Harrison's Reports is a good start because they reviewed almost everything that was shown in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Variety. And the Times will, will review, New York Times will review a movie if it's showed on uh, one of the Broadway theaters. You know, if it's one of the smaller ones, then it's not yeah, necessarily, not they're so snobbish, lack of space, they don't, they don't review them. But, That's a Harrison mm-hmm. film. He covered everybody from the podunks to the big cities. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I got so many other questions, so many things I want to talk about, but I know you guys have limited time, and and uh, I have to pick up my son from school in about twenty minutes. Um, oh, okay. what, well, I leave here in twenty minutes. Go pick him up. Um, yeah, if you want to do a no, part two, we can talk about this stuff. For oh my you. gosh! Oh, oh, I'm. I mean, you guys get wonderful musicians who come in to uh, to do this. I mean, this year alone. I mean, you have your house organist. You also mm-hmm. have. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name at the moment. Um, Walt Carly. Say it again. Philip Carley. Well, Philip Carley is in, based out of Rochester. Ben Modell, maybe. Ben Modell. Uh, yeah, we had Ben Modell, and then Avery Cunningly. Uh, is that the one who's like the Capitals house organist? Which one uh, house organist? John Paul. John yeah. Paul. Okay, yeah. He's in a company films, but Avery is. He lives in Schenectady, and he's kind of our go-to guy whenever we have kind of an ambitious scoring project to do. Mm-hmm. So. 
years ago, we showed Birth of a Nation. And I think that we worked out the time that he spent on that score to like 12 cents an hour for what we paid him. He came up with a 400-page score, yeah, you know, so adapted right. from the original orchestral score by, by yeah. Joseph Carl Briel. Yeah, so um, Avery's kind of our go-to. And, and, and the organ was not kind to him this year. I, I no. just The organ uh, was misbehaving rather badly this year, which is which is sad for us having spent $21,400 on <laughs> It wasn't connected to the work that had been done on it. It was an electrical issue where the organ was playing full organ all the time. You couldn't do much about it. It's just always yeah, playing full organ. Can't really organ. do much nuance with no, full organ. So, so you got like a loud organ all the time, and uh, you know, obviously that's something that'll be fixed next year. We never had that issue before. Never. Uh, and we're in putting more years. money into it for next year. So. <laughs> well, maybe it, maybe it, it has to happen in the past twenty or so. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you guys had. Uh, had some very interesting guests this year, including someone who was in one of the movies. And yeah. I remember talking to you guys uh, during the festival briefly and that you guys had never done that before. What what inspired you to uh, seek out Cora Sue Collins? It was Darren Burns, who's been coming to Capitol Fest for several years now, was friends with her and said, you know, she could come and, and, and talk about one of her movies. And we talked about doing her first movie, uh, which was uh, Unexpected Father, Zazu Pitts and uh, uh, Slim Somerville. And that's what we intended to show. And then uh, one of our people said, you already showed that. I said, we did? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I looked it up. We showed it like eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. So I said, oh, well, oh, how about... <laughs> so I said to Darren, how would she like to see her second film uh, on, on the big screen? <laughs> uh, which is a strange case of Clara Dean. Yeah. Uh, and we, she actually has a really good part in that, too. So it was her second film we got because we had not shown that before. And she came and talked about it afterwards. We did a mm-hmm. uh, question and answer session for 90, uh, well, about 25 minutes, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people said, why don't you let her, why didn't you let her talk longer? Well, for one thing, it kind of the, the, the whole, we had a slot set aside for a feature film. We didn't really have a slot set aside for any um, uh, question and answer session. Yeah. So we sort of had to work that into our existing schedule and um so you know I, I think first and foremost we want to show movies and yeah. somebody said hey somebody's got a chance to talk about this movie they were in obviously you want to grab that yeah too. but mm-hmm. the so, guys usually come along after we've figured out the schedule so it makes it kind of tough to squeeze in what people want from the guests because we don't really seek the guests out they tend to find us because hmm. we're once we start seeking them out, um, this sounds really cheap of us, but there's a lot more expenses involved if you're inviting someone than if somebody wants to come up of their own volition. So um, all the guests come, they find out what we're doing and they want to come on their own, usually aided by people who come to Capital Fest who have a personal relationship with those folks. And that's usually how it pans out. So all the guests we've had in the past several years have come about in that way. And that's the same thing with Peter McRae. It was yeah. uh, it was Lou Saban who uh, yeah. um, Lucibini, you know, huh? Lucibini. Oh, Lucibini. Yeah, yeah. yeah who, who got him involved? And um, uh, he, he 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 said he he was not Peter McRae. Said he's not the kind of guy who goes up and makes speeches. <laughs> not really good at introducing things. He said not like my father in that way. Yeah. <laughs> he said we could. He said he'd be glad to talk to people and do kind of a question and answer thing. So we worked one in. Uh, for Saturday morning, and then he liked it so much, they stayed over another day and said, and he texted me on Saturday night, said, do you want me to introduce my mother's movie tomorrow or to say something before my mother's movie? 
And I didn't even know how we were going to do that. I said, okay, well, we're not really doing another question and answer session. I guess he's just going to introduce it. He said, no, I'd like to, anybody have any questions? He just stand <laughs> up and ask me a question. And he did. And once I asked him a question, he's, he's got answers. He's got yeah. great stuff to say, but he didn't want to just stand there and introduce it. He wanted to have more of a conversation. Yeah. So we ended up with a couple of those and they were kind of spur of the moment, you know, uh, uh, last minute kinds of things as well. But, but they, they work out well. And I think they, they're good in that they, they, they kind of complement the movies you're showing. It's, it's it, it works well as the overall part of the part of the program. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not the main part of the program, but it's. I think it gives it a, an, an extra dimension. We we really like doing that when we can. Yeah. Mm. I, it helps a lot. Uh, you said that uh, Peter McRae just decided to stay another day because he liked it so much. Um, yeah. it, it helps that the uh, the the feel that the culture of Capital Fest is one that's very celebratory and <laughs> uh, very warm feeling. Um, yeah. something that grabbed me the, my first time there last year was when a, a star or, or one of the stars of this, of the movie would walk on screen. Everybody would applaud for them as if they were <laughs> yeah. really there. And, uh, uh, that just spills over into a lot of that. Uh, can you tell yeah. us actually where that began, that, that tradition of, uh, of sort of uh, applauding <laughs> that? Was, was yeah. that something that was always there or? <laughs> I think I remember reading a review of uh, Only Angels Have Wings uh, with uh, Gene Arthur and Cary Grant. And uh, I think it was might have been the New York Times. And they said Richard Bartholomew had been off the screen for a couple of years. And when he did his entrance on screen, he got applause. People applauded. So it did happen, you know, when these movies were new. But I don't think it was as commonplace for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's always happened at festivals, as far as I know. Cinefest. Cinefest, definitely. And the first time yeah. I went to Cinefest. You know, you get an obscure character actor like J. Carol Nash. Yeah, I love it. And people applaud. Yeah, it's it's more it's kind of a recogn a group recognition thing. And I think because we're not really a stuffy or stodgy festival, people feel comfortable doing that. And not everybody enjoys having entrance applause, but so many people it's almost like they can't contain their excitement for seeing somebody they love, which I think is kind of magical. It really makes it feel like a community thing. It's yeah. kinda of like it's kind of like, yes, you're watching it with a bunch of friends, but at the same time, there are a bunch of friends who take movies so seriously, they're not going to be talking during the movie, but occasionally they want to, you know, you yeah. laugh when you when there's something yeah. funny. Mm -hmm. so, it's kind of like a communication that isn't, it's yeah. just kind of like a shared experience. You applaud when you see something you like. And, yeah. and there are scenes like somebody, like the villain gets his comeuppance. Oh, yeah. At, at a certain people point. hiss or clap. Yeah. I remember yeah. that with uh, Mamba last year. That happened when the oh, bad yeah. guy finally got his. Everyone was yeah. like, yeah, get him. <laughs> <laughs> or like after a musical number, sometimes people will clap. You know, right. it's just, it's kind of like a spontaneous joy that well, we think is really fun. Yeah, whenever we show a Vitaphone short oh, or something, yeah. you know, people are always at the end of a Vitaphone short, the conductor, whoever it is, will bow. And there's applause. Yeah, and then, you know, all of a sudden that them. makes sense. You're watching yeah. it. That make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, of you don't clap it. You don't catch. It, it would be so impolite not to. He bowed. Yeah, you know, right. It feels like, to like how rude. Yeah. But, I, 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 but I don't know when it started. But it's, I, I think I, I like the that that you know that that tradition. I, mean, I think yeah. it's something that film festivals just do. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Well, I, I just had had been on from it. This is the first film festival I've I'd ever attended. Uh, so I was just it was uh, oh. it was very pleasantly surprising. I was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> this is I like this. Oh, okay. Cinefest was very much like that. And probably an event is similar yeah. to that too. I think a lot of old movie people like to do that because sometimes there's like a, like there's people you recognize that you know a lot of people won't recognize, but you're super into that person. 
So you clap for them because you're like, oh, yay, there's a person I've been studying and mm. all these other things. Like an old friend. They always applaud yeah. for whoever our tribute star is. Oh, they yeah. always applaud always. for them whenever they come on. Always. You know, we don't ask every movie. To do it. They, <laughs> they don't even do, do it, it just the first movie. They mm-hmm. applaud every remember, time they come on. I remember one year it's like accidentally we had four or five movies with George K. Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> every time George K. Arthur came up, people would applaud him. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's Capital Fest favorites. Remember, uh, was it uh, Raymond... Uh, Harry Green. Oh, Harry Green. I mean, there's a lot of people like uh, Max Davidson will get a yeah, lot. Oh, yeah, like, and, and, and it's fun to see them when they're in like tiny, tiny bit parts that you didn't even know they were in that movie, but people recognize them and there's like a slow like recognition of clapping. And then when you see their face, there's more clapping. Well, I it's just kind of fun. When we showed Fast Companions, for example, like yeah. I said, no, nobody would seen the movie. So there was no listing of the people who sure. weren't billed. Yeah. And there was a policeman in it. And yep. He had his back to the camera and he turned around and it was Edgar Kennedy. So, of course, he got a big <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, and Capital Fest is warm anyway, very community-based. Like, you automatically have commonality with people there, so even people who aren't really into movies can have a great conversation with somebody who's been coming since the first one. So yeah. it, it's really kind of folksy in that way. Yeah, it, it helps, too, with being right there in downtown Rome with just these nice yeah. little shops and little coffee yeah. shops and all that. So when you take a break, you could just go... Get a little yeah. sandwich. Sit on the sit on the uh, the patio and yeah. You know. um, yeah. Well, one more question, I guess, before uh, I sign off with you guys. But what are some of the uh, future plans you guys have in mind for? Uh, I keep saying you guys. I gotta cut that out of my lexicon. But anyway, um, but but what what are some of the future plans th- that you have? For Capital Fest, for, Cap- for Capital Fest, Fest. what well, what are some of the, some of the big plans, some of the big dreams? The big plan for Capital Fest is to continue doing what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the thing about an old festival, uh, you kind of can keep in the same track. We we have been uh, done some different stuff in the past where we've like either brought in a foreign film or done different types of presentations. Next year we have a presentation coming up about widescreen. Mm-hmm. Um, by uh, James Layton and um, David Pierce. That's right. And they did one a couple of years ago about Technicolor that went over really big. But um, yeah, things like that, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be able to attract more um, family members of stars. Um, without trying. Without trying. <laughs> without trying much. Um, we'd also like to get, uh, Rome's downtown is in the process of revitalizing. So we hope that every year when people come back, they'll be able to see some more excitement and have more things to do. In addition to that, we're going to be restoring the marquee back to the front of the building and the interior of the auditorium. So that'll be really exciting for people too. Not necessarily festival related, but definitely capital related. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great to, you know, we see these people once a year, a lot of them come to capital fest and, and they notice things that we don't notice. Yeah. It's, that's true. it's happened gradually or, yeah. we, or we've forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And it's great to have people come and say, boy, this, your, your downtown really really come back to life <laughs> yeah. last last year. It's really a lot of yeah. things are happening here. And we you know, it happens here on a on a weekly or monthly basis, but yeah. but they get to see it once a year, so they're yeah. they're noticing things like yeah. but we like the idea of doing it in a downtown and in a real you know, in a real movie theater. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's much it's it's more comfortable. You know, I can't sit in a in a folding chair for two or three movies at a time. I could do two maybe, but not three. <laughs> but these are theater seats, you know. You're watching yeah. it in the theater, and when when people are expected to sit, possibly for a long time and watch a movie. So, I think it's a, I think it's a different experience than uh, 
um, than watching it in a place that wasn't specifically designed for, theater, for, for movies. And I think that's kind of what makes us uh, unique in a way is that we're not just showing movies, we're trying to show them in the same sorts of conditions you would have seen them in when they were new. And I think that's a large part of the movie's impact on an audience member. Because you, these movies were designed to be shown in a movie theater like this, mm -hmm. and we get to do that. Uh, you know, it's it's great to see them on television or on Blu-ray. Even if you've got a, a big television, you're not seeing it in the same kind of conditions. Mm -hmm. You are here, and that's we we like to take advantage of what we have, and we happen to have a 1928 movie theater. So, <laughs> yeah, so we it do. To be in the middle of downtown Rome, right. which a lot of people are like, why why don't you do it in a bigger place? Well, this yeah. is what we've got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not going to move it, you know. No, no, no. Um, yeah. Well, well, thanks, guys, so much for being with me. But uh, actually, you know what? One more thing. Um, this year, I learned what Nikki Doodles was. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, because uh, me, me and, uh, me and uh, my friend and, and sometimes co-host on this podcast, Seth Zelinsky, uh, who came with me last year, one of the first mm -hmm. things we saw when we came into Rome was a local newspaper that held it in front of it. Uh, Nikki Doodles turns twenty, and we're just like, "What is Nikki Doodles? <laughs> what Nikki is Doodles. this place?" It is a restaurant. Am I correct? Oh, yes, okay. Yes. Yeah. Ice cream and uh, ice cream and and uh, food. Yeah, and their food is really good, and their ice cream is really good. And they do a countdown every year for when they open, so it really creates a, it generates its own excitement. Yeah, they close Tuesday, <laughs> yeah. November, and then they reopen in March. Yeah. Well, it's good to have the mystery of Nikki Doodle solved. Uh, I know, for, right? For my 20-strong Instagram audience. Um, <laughs> but, well, hopefully uh, more people will find out about it, too. Well, it's been an, and Nikki Doodles. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks so much for joining me on here. Um, when is the next Capital Fest? When is that going to be? Do we have a weekend set yet? Uh, I'm not sure the exact dates. It's always the second weekend in August, and it starts on the Friday. Art will look at the calendar quick. Okay. <laughs> we kind of know when it is, so we just kind of expect it showing up at a certain point. Sometime in August, one of those weekends. Yeah, it's part of the progression, but oh, he'll have it flipping, flipping through. Here we go. Through the big calendar. It is August. Um, <laughs> Can you read it? 14, 15, 16. 14, 15, 16. Got it. Yeah. All right. And coming early on Thursday night, we usually have something going we'll on. We'll show a war horse on Thursday night. <laughs> there you go. Do you guys have yep, anything so else you'd like to uh, you'd like to plug before signing off? Plug? Uh, no. Next year's Capital Fest. Yeah, next year. <laughs> All right. As I yeah. said, August 14, 15, 16. And honestly, if you're ever stopping through Rome, we've always got something fun going on. So feel free to stop in. We'll give you a tour. Yeah, um, we you know we 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 love Capital Fest people. So uh, yeah, Capital Fest people are happen to be in the Rome area. By all means, come by and yeah, we'll be able movie to, people really. We'll be able to show you more of the theater than we have time to do during Capital Fest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's I'm one sure. of our regrets. I think is that we see all these people who know a lot about movies and they care a lot about movies, and we don't have a lot of time to talk to them. Yeah. Capital Fest weekend, we're fairly busy. Yeah, and you know, it'd be great if they were here for one of the other shows where it's kind of leisurely. You know. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. So come anytime outside of Capital Fest and we'll give you a good time. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll try, see what I can do. I'm going to be in Syracuse in November, so maybe I can try oh, to yeah, jaunt yeah, over. Swing but you'll miss Nicky Doodles in November. Yeah, that's, that's uh, Yeah, no, that's true. Well, that's right. you'll, get, you'll catch him next year. <laughs> Thanks I'll, so much I'll drive for having mate. We appreciate it. Oh, no worries. Thank you again. Thanks. Okay. Bye.
thanks once again to Art and Kylie Pierce for agreeing to be on this podcast with me. It was an absolute pleasure to be able to speak with them, and we even continued talking afterwards, just just because we were just having a good time talking and uh, chat, chatting away. And who knows, maybe it would be fun to uh, to have them on again. I mean, we, we talked about enough, Lord knows. Um, and they have plenty of stories to tell about film preservation and people who have come through and and, and audience reactions and, and film discoveries and, and all sorts of stuff. So, so yeah, if you know, if you happen to be in the central New York area or really New York State at all, I highly recommend going to the Rome Capital Fest. There were some great films this year. Uh, a couple of my favorites were uh, Sally, Irene, and Mary, which was a, a silent. Uh, it was a 1925 MGM silent. I think uh, was it was it Joan Crawford was in that one. Um, but it's a great uh, backstage musical kind of a thing. Um, backstage musical drama. Um, just some uh, just the lead actresses just uh, really showing off their chops. Um, the silent version of Captain Blood was pretty cool, especially seeing uh, all those practical uh, boat exploding effects was pretty great. Um, and uh, one of my favorites too of, of that was there was one uh, called Legion of Terror, which starred um, Bruce Cabot, who played Jack uh, on the 1933 King Kong. He plays the he plays the lead. He works for I believe like the Postmaster General. Uh, instead of the FBI, which is kind of weird, but anyway, they go uh, they go after and uh, take down an ersatz KKK, which is uh, from, is from 1936. Well, anyway, thanks so much for listening, and uh, I gave you all my plugs at the beginning of the show, so I'm not going to bore you with them again here. Just uh, come back uh, in a couple weeks for another episode, probably a Christmassy one. All right, thanks. Love you. Bye. <laughs>